The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. So happy as always you're tuning into Dose of Leadership. Another great guest for you today. Warren Rustand is on the show. He's a husband, father of seven, grandfather of 19, an entrepreneur, an athlete, an educator, speaker, philanthropist. He spent his early years on a farm in Minnesota, and his father moved his family to Southern California, and he became an elite-level basketball player, eventually was drafted into what would become the Golden State Warriors, enlisted in the Army, worked in the White House and the Ford administration, and became an entrepreneur. I was happy to have him on the show to talk about his book, The Leader Within Us, an expansive book, work-life integration, philanthropy, better time management. It really is a book that's going to guide you towards greatness. That is the underlying intent of the book. And through his three principles of leadership and five principles of personal greatness, which we deep dive here in this conversation, if you read this, you're really given an architecture and vision of what you need to live life intentionally and by design, which is important. And I think it's a great book. There's so many great books out there. This is definitely one of them, one you should probably pick up, The Leader Within Us. You can learn more about Warren at his website, theleaderwithinus.com. Learn all about him and the book and the services that he has, speaking, coaching. And it's just a great conversation brought to you by my sponsor, Equity Bank, who's been with me well over two years, well over 50 episodes. It's a team that truly knows what it takes to start and grow a business. They understand leadership. It's been exciting to watch them grow. It's one of the fastest-growing banks in the Midwest. Equity Bank is listed on the NASDAQ exchange. they got locations all across Kansas as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas. It's clearly this team at Equity Bank knows how to lead for growth. And so if it feels like your current bank is more of a follower than a leader and you want to work with a bank that really understands your needs, check them out, equitybank.com, to learn more. One other thing before we jump into the interview, I'd ask a huge favor of you it's really important that ratings and reviews, particularly written reviews, they do wonders to keep me front and center on Apple Podcasts. So if you're finding value in this show, take a little time to write a review. Hopefully it's five stars, but write a review. And it's not that intuitive, I'll give you that. But if you have a mobile device and you find your podcast application, the little purple icon, click on that and then go down to the magnifying glass, the search area at the bottom. Click on that and type in Dose of Leadership. And when you find my artwork, click on that. And once you click on that and scroll down to the bottom there, you'll see a write a review link. And there you can put in the star rating and then type a review. It would mean the world to me if you do that. I know it's, I hate asking directly, but it's really important, particularly to keep us front and center with those, with those algorithms. I appreciate that. Go check out doseofleadership.com to learn more about my services as well. I've opened up my doors to my doseofleadership.com university. And I'm looking for 50 new members in 2021. From there at doseofleadership.com slash university, you can watch a video, learn all what's involved and entailed and what you get when you join the university. And you can watch the testimonials from a handful of my mentors, people who've been with me for a year and the value they've been getting from being with this group. So if you're interested, 
go check it out. You can fill out a form and they'll send me an email. We can set up a time we can talk to see if it might be a good fit for you. So go check it out if you're interested in being intentional about your leadership growth this year. All right, let's get on with the conversation here with Warren Rustam here on Dose of Leadership. Warren, so excited that you're here on Dose of Leadership. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Richard. Glad to be with you. Should have some fun today. Yeah, it's a true honor, really. I mean, uh, your your expertise and your you're the leadership junkie of all junkies, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I love your book, The Leader Within Us. It's really good, and it speaks. It resonates with me deeply. You're the first person that used these three terms, and I've kind of been saying this a lot for the past few years about. Uh, I thought the keys to unlocking transformation leadership or the compassionate side for sure is authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability. I saw those three words uh, coined together in your book a handful of times, and I just, I just love that. So you're the first person that I've seen that's kind of coined those three together. So I appreciate that. Well, it's very nice of you to say. Thank you very much. I had a really interesting experience when I was working at the White House as Appointment Secretary to President Ford. And it was one of these times when I had been appointed, and maybe you've had this experience too, Richard, where you know right away that maybe you're not quite up to the job or you got a lot to learn. And I was learning as fast as I could, but the people I was hanging out with, you know, and, and I don't do this to name drop, just to suggest to you sort of how I was feeling at the time. You know, I was there with Don Rumsfeld, Dick Cheney, Colin Powell, Bob Gates, Brent Scowcroft, Henry Kissinger. That was the senior team. And I was a part of that team. And so, you know, I, and I was new to the White House. I was 29 years old, new to politics in that sense, and just didn't feel like I was quite up to it and quite good enough. So, we had a meeting of that group in the Oval Office one day with the president. As they drifted out, I hung behind to speak to the president. I said, Mr. President, may I speak with you? He said, yes, sit down. And I said, Mr. President, I'm not experienced enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm going to make a mistake that's going to embarrass you. And, and here's my letter of resignation. And I put it on his desk. And he looked at it for a moment. And then he swiveled his chair to look out across the South Lawn of the White House and the Rose Garden. And he came back to me and he said, you know, Warren, the very fact that you've said this to, new, to me makes you qualified to be here. The fact that I was vulnerable transparent and honest with him. He knew he could trust me from that point in time. And as a result of that, he trusted this old farm kid with a lot of stuff that he should have never trusted me to do, but it worked out to be a really nice relationship. So I learned early on that those three words are key to really deep relationships. I agree a hundred percent. And I love that story. I remember reading that in that book. And you're right. That's where that, the first time I saw those phrases, those three words together based on that story. What a great baptism by fire for, for being around all that greatness. And, and being the witness, as you open up the book, too, uh, standing there once Nixon, you know, it was official, he was going to resign, and you were able to witness Ford kind of sit there, process what was happening, the gravity of what was happening, and then go into action. I, really, I love that kind of inside baseball aspect of that, because, uh, of course, I remember that moment when it happened too, but just to be there and to witness that, it's just amazing when you're in your twenties or late twenties, but still. No, I was, uh, you know, I was just honored to be there and to, to witness the transfer of power and the ability of someone to grasp the significance of what was happening yeah. and then act upon that significance at that moment in time was really a profound leadership lesson for me. Yeah. It has stayed with me my whole life to, to gather in the data and the information, and the facts, and then to have a plan to act on that. And, uh, in the precise moment when you need to act. Yeah. Right. Some of us could have said, well, let me step back from this for six months and figure this out. Right. <laughs> figure it out. But yeah. that day he said, I w I'd like to have the following six people here at 7 a.m. tomorrow morning for a transition team mm -hmm. meeting. And when he walked into that room the next morning, he pulled from his jacket 
five pages of notes, he had a vision for what that transition was going to be. And that was a sig significant leadership lesson. It's amazing. I love, I've, I've had a handful of that kind of inside baseball of, of people who've worked next to presidents. And it's always funny. Sometimes it's disheartening. But, you know, you remember in the 70s and how Ford was portrayed, you know, everybody just remembers him falling down the steps from the plane, right. or getting hit. In the, <laughs> you have a great story there yeah. where you hit him with a tennis ball and knocked, knocked yeah, him I out. Yeah, I did. I did, yeah. <laughs> but I thought it actually killed the president with a tennis ball. That was a, that was a bad thing. Oh, my God. Crazy. But my point is, is that, and I think it was, I had Dana Prino on the show and we were talking about George Bush and I had George Bush's um, official photographer and, and just getting that insight and how just the composure and just the feeling that weight and that gravity. And it's just, we, we, we don't appreciate that from an outside observer when we're getting snippets and sound bites from the media about what that president really has to go through. And I, I can just imagine the gravity is just huge. And to stay composed in that, I'm just, I'm awed by that, to be quite honest. Yeah. And I think also for the people around him to feed off of that, I think sometimes we forget we're the role model for behavior, right. emotions, execution as leaders, and people feed off of us. And as a result of that, what we say and do, how we comport ourselves at that time is really important to the success of whatever we're doing at that time. Calm is contagious. Oh, yeah, for right? sure. Calm is in battle. You've been in battle, right? Calm is contagious. This notion when things are blown up around you, if you can maintain your composure during that time, Others will as well. Stupidity is also contagious, right? <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> there are sure. a lot of things that we could spend uh, yeah. time on like that. But I, but I found in crisis situations, difficult and challenging situations, how the leader acts and responds is critical to how those around them respond as well. Yeah, I think, well, certainly being an aviator, I, it's, it's been an, it's, it's a, a non-negotiable for my job. I, have, I had to learn how to compartmentalize and be composed all the time, right? And being aware of how I'm coming across to the crew, to the people. And, and the Marine Corps is that way too, never losing your bearing. And I, you know, the six years you were in the military, I think that was probably one of the biggest lessons when I got thrust into the corporate arena. And probably the, the most positive feedback that I got was my ability to, to stay composed in crisis type situations. And I just took it for granted. I just, cause I was just, number one, it was drummed into me in the Marine Corps and being a professional aviator, but I never felt I always felt like mush on the inside. I think that's important, right? I felt like I don't know what I'm doing here. I feel like I'm going to throw up or whatever, you know. But I guess my question to you is so many lessons became clear to me when I got away from that. I took it for granted when I was in it because I'm, I'm around the same bunch of knuckleheads all the time. So we're doing the same thing. But when I got away from it, it kind of slapped me in the face. I learned a lot of lessons and composure was, was a huge one. Uh, yeah. What lessons? I'm, I'm assuming the same thing happened to you in those six years during the 60s, and, and they still stick with you today. What were some of those? Well, if you think of the time I was in college and university, right? So I was attending the University of Arizona in the 60s, 61 through 65. Those were the years when people were marching in the streets for civil yeah. rights and the voting rights, right? And, and so it was an activist period of time. It was a challenging and difficult period of time, not unlike we're experiencing today in some ways. The same thing during the Vietnam War, where there are people marching in the streets and everyone thought the Republic was gone, right? We're yeah. going to lose everything. Yeah. I think we have to get through these moments knowing that we're in a continuum of time. People have asked me, is this the worst time we've ever been? And I say, no. Think about the Civil War when brothers sure. were shooting brothers. For sure. Right? Th think about uh, the Civil Rights Movement. Think about the Vietnam War. We think about these very contentious times. So we have to learn our lessons as we move through this process. And a lot of the great lessons I learned, yes, in the military, but also playing uh, high-level sports, 
in college, right? Sure. Being an All-American basketball player, playing yeah. for the Golden State Warriors, right? The, 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 the issues of dedication, commitment, right? Hard work, effort. Those things come back as lessons in life and the applications of those are everyday experiences, yeah. right? And we just assume them because we've had them. And yet other people are searching for them. Other people are trying to find them. What's the formula? The formula is actually quite simple. It's not complex. So I think there are three great pieces. And I speak about this in the book, right? I think the mm-hmm. first is clarity of vision, mm-hmm. that we have to see our outcome. What do we want as our outcome? I was just a quick story, Richard, but I was about 25 years ago, I was having uh, dinner with three friends of mine. They're all mountain climbers. And I said to my first friend, I said, what are you going to be doing the next 25 years? And he said, well, I'm going to climb as many mountains as I can. I love climbing. And I said, what are you going to do at the second one? What are you going to be doing? And he said, well, I'm going to try to climb the seven summits on the seven continents. And I said, that's great. And I said to the third climber, I said, what are you going to be doing? He said, I'm going to climb Mount Everest by the time I'm 25. You know, who had the clarity of vision among those three? Yeah. Well, it was a third guy, Jamie Clark. He lives in Calgary, Canada. He climbed it first when he was 21, again, when he was 23, and again, when he was 25. Yeah. Why? Because he had clarity of vision. And after clarity of vision comes certainty of intent. Mm -hmm. This notion of if we know where we're going, then we have to act on that every day. And if we do that, the path becomes quite clear. And finally, it's the power of values, right? It's this notion of the core beliefs and values that we hold dear to us. Those are the guideposts for our life. And they, they show us the way, right? And sometimes we meander a little left and sometimes a little right. And we make stupid mistakes and we create errors and failures and all that stuff. But if we stay on the road, we will achieve our vision. I agree. And I think if we can apply those three, we're in good shape. Yeah, you know, particularly going to the first one about the, the um, clarity of vision, it forces you into this outcome orientation mindset. And so often we are kind of in this problem presents itself or some some stressful situation drives the anxiety and we think we're solving the problem and it's just, we're just trying to get rid of the anxiety and we're not really thinking, we're just reacting to whatever dragon raises its ugly head. And when what I love about what you're saying is it forces us to now, instead of my focus is this dragon that reared its ugly head and creates anxiety and I go into action. I'm just reacting to that. Now I got this clarity. It's in my hand. And now I'm fueled by more passionate energy, right? And so That's now right. now when the dragons present its head, I can pick and choose which ones I want to slay because I got this clarity of vision, this this certainty of intent driving me towards it, right? So, yep. so that's what I always say about the fear and uncertainty never goes away. I think a lot of times we people think, oh, if I study leadership and I get this clarity, that the fear, the uncertainty, and the dragons won't present themselves. But I like to say it just gives me the guidance to, to know which dragons to slay. Does that make sense? Right. I think it actually makes sense because there are always going to be dragons in our life. Absolutely. There's always going to be adversity. We know that, right? We know there's going to be adversity. So when it comes at us, rather than being overwrought with emotion and concerned yeah. and frozen, we just have to say, okay, this is another speed bump. This is another test of character. I control my reaction to that right. particular dragon. Right. And therefore, I can decide what I'm going to do about it. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be frozen in fear over this. Right. And I think back to when the virus first came up. So a, a year ago, January, our second oldest son and I were traveling in China, Thailand, and Vietnam. And we heard about this place called Wuhan. And there was some virus going on. And, but, but there was no big deal. By the time we got back in mid-February, it was an issue. In early March, we were in lockdown, right? So this whole notion was we gathered our family. And we have seven children, six boys and a girl. We have 19 grandchildren. We all live together on a farm in the center of Tucson, Arizona. And the kids have built their homes there. So we're a three-generation family living together, which is just tremendous fun. We have kids and grandkids everywhere, which is great. 
But we, we gathered our whole family in early February and said, this could become a pandemic. If it becomes a pandemic, it may have this kind of effect. Therefore, let's organize ourselves for this eventuality, which it became. And I've done about 18 Facebook Live presentations about the crisis and how to deal with it and all that stuff. But this notion that we can react to it in an appropriate way. So we organized ourselves, how we were going to shop, how we were going to isolate, what we were going to do, how we were going to conserve cash, whatever it might be, right? All those things. And we took a two-year approach to it, 24 months. There were some who thought it was going to be over in weeks. Some thought it was going to be over in months. It's still very much with us in a very deadly way. Right. And we think it's still going to be another year or so before we get through this. But we picked our target date as February 2022 as to a time when we thought this was going to be in pretty good shape. And so we geared our plan for that. And we're executing that plan today. So we chose how to react to the dragon that raised its head, yeah. as opposed to allowing the dragon to drive us in a particular direction. Right, which would fuel some anxiety, and you're just responding to that, and it doesn't even know, maybe this is the wrong dragon to slay. Maybe I can just sidestep it. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And, right. and you know, and what's beautiful about what you said is we were talking about composure a little while ago. All of that kind of intentionality kind of fuels that composure. That's That gives you uh, the kind of the framework or the foundation to be composed in that chaotic situation. And I, I recall, Richard, if I may, I recall uh, growing up on this isolated farm in Minnesota near the Canadian border. It was really cold. Uh, I know how Texans feel right now. Yeah, it's really cold great. in Texas, but it was cold in Minnesota. But before my father would open a field or before he would do a task, he'd always step back from the task and he'd always say, now, what do I want to have happen here? What outcome what do I want to have? And so I heard that as a young boy yes. over and over again. It was drilled into me that before you take on a task, pause for a moment, take time to really think about what do you want to have happen here and what outcome do you want? And that has served me so well oh, during yeah. my life. I agree with you 100%. That ability to take that pregnant pause and go, whoa, 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 what are we trying to, what are we trying to accomplish here? What's the outcome? Again, I attribute the Marine Corps and aviation for that because when things start going to hell in a handbasket or the abnormal situation presents itself, which it will, it's easy to get distracted and go down rabbit holes, right? And so to always pull yourself back and go, wait a second, let's not work the plan. Let's work the outcome, folks. Let's work the outcome. What are we trying to achieve? And when you have that clarity of vision, like you said, and that the intent of what or it drives the intent prevents you from shutting the wrong engine down or prevents you from shutting, you know, prevents you from yeah. landing unnecessarily or doing something stupid, you know, and rash. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah. I love that. I mean, that stuff is just, that's why it even, it resonated with me. You know, you, what you laid out there were your three principles of leadership and then you've got, it's laid out beautifully in the book. And then you kind of go into the five principles of personal greatness, which I loved and I read and it just reminds me of just you know, as much as a junkie I am on this stuff, it just, it's a wake up call that I can still be a little more intentional, you know? And I think that's, to me, that's why leadership is so difficult. It's, be, it's, it's the personal discipline of, of getting up and getting overwhelmed about, um, I have a vision of what type of leader I want to be, but sometimes I get stuck because it seems so overwhelming. And that's why I loved your, your, what is it? Your one ten 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 rule. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the 31 minutes in the morning. I think how, how we wake up, how we start Critical. our day really matters. Just really matters. In the same way, how I prepared for basketball games really mattered. We have to put our mind in a place that allows us to have success, that opens up the door, the possibility for success. And so my view of that is to have a, a morning ritual. 
there was something put out on the internet recently that I liked. It said the 14 things that the most ridiculously successful people in the world all do in common. One of those was they all have a morning routine. Yeah. When their eyes are opened and they know they're awake, they begin to do something. They don't go to the bathroom, get the cup of coffee, turn on TV, read the newspaper, grab a cell phone. They do something special Internal. that enables them to prepare in a way that they may have better success. And so for me, it's the this minute on the edge of the bed where you say, why am I alive today? What's my purpose? Why am I here? What's, what am I doing today? So fix on our purpose. And then 10 minutes of gratitude, 10 minutes of inspirational reading, and 10 minutes of inspirational journaling. Writing about the day before, what we learned, the good experiences we had, all positive stuff. So you're 31 minutes into your day and your brain's alive. You're ready. You're yeah. fired up. You're excited about the day. And I think that's really important, right? I do and too. there are sort of four things that we have to do well every day, right? One is how we get up. The second is working out and exercise because we got to get those endorphins released. We got to get our body in good shape. And then thirdly is what we eat, be hydrated and eat protein and do the right stuff. And then the fourth thing is how we manage time. And if we can do those four things well, we don't have to be great just well. I think we really have a great chance to be successful. I agree. I love that. And I love the one minute of sitting on the edge of the bed going, what? what is my purpose today? Why am I even alive today? And then going to gratitude. <clears throat> you know, I, I, I always tell us, I've told the story on the show before, like, you know, I wanted to be that guy that wakes up <clears throat> five 30 journals, prays, walks, gets on the exercise equipment, you know, all before everybody gets up out of bed. And then it's kind of like dieting or exercising. You, you say, I'm going to be, I'm going to do a marathon. And then you run and it hurts too bad. And you, you do too much, right? You don't do it incrementally. Right. I, so I reverted back and I said, you know what? I'm just going to get up and do the gratitude thing. I sat up on the edge of bed and I just started saying little things to myself, what I'm thankful for. And I just did that. And that was all I did. And when I read this, and then I built upon that, right? I've built. and right. but, yeah. but I love the one minute before the gratitude. Man, I'm alive today. What's my purpose? What am I here for? It puts that. It's so critical. And I got to tell you, doing that, just that gratitude piece, was probably the biggest game changer for me from a mindset of how I, I, I started the day. You know, because if I started and picked up this and started checking email, I just kind of felt gross, you know, or even the news, which is even worse. I agree with you. It's, uh, there's a certain majesty about a human being that, w that we have been created. We're here, all of us, 7.2 billion of us, all different on planet Earth at the yeah. same time. There's some majesty in being a human being. And so if I believe that, then why wouldn't I want to create the best human being I possibly could? Yeah, that's a great right? way to put it. Absolutely. And, 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 and build on that majesty of this thing, right? This body, this mind. And life is about our mindset. It's about how we view things and how we react to things. And if we can control our mindset we're going to have this great and noble life. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, it's certainly going to lead right. to significance, right? I agree with That's you. Right. And, and I think that I love the term majesty. I, I haven't, I, I'm going to start incorporating that word. I love how you put that in there. It is. It is critical to remind ourselves, number one, how short we are that we're here. I think it's, it's imperative to look at it that way. And the majesty, I love that word, but the majesty of it is like, wow, I, 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 this is unique, right? Let's don't waste it. Right. And yeah. it doesn't mean that you have to get up and, like I said, make the goal of climbing Mount Everest today. But it's just, right. you know, doing something unique and special that's personal to you and to your family and to your, your organization, your situation, whatever the case may be. Right. Yeah. And if we look at life as a continuum of time, man's been around for a long time. Yeah. Let's say we live 75 or 80 years. That's a nanosecond in time. Yeah. It's just a nanosecond in time of the history of man. 
And wouldn't we want that to be the most special 75 or 80 years of all time? And wouldn't we want to look back and say, I did the best I could with the resources I had, with the talents and gifts I've been given, as opposed to looking back and saying, I wish I should have, could have, would have, right? Have no regrets. Live life. Now, have I made mistakes? Absolutely. I've done dumb things. I've failed at some things. That's okay. Get ourselves up, dust ourselves off, and go attack the mountain again. And I think when we do that with the right mindset, then we're going to have a life well-lived. And that's really what we all want to have. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of the special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest growing banks by working side-by-side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the greatest fear that I have at this moment is is that fear of regret of sitting on that deathbed and having those regret ghosts or those dream ghosts walking around shaking its head looking at me like, "Guy, if only." You know what I mean? <laughs> that is my yep. biggest fear. I think yep. uh, yeah. And you and I would probably agree, Richard, that when we think about all the things we do, your your brilliant podcast and the people you interview, your career, everything you've done, that our families are really the most critical piece of that. Yeah, for and sure. I know you you have four daughters, I believe. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got seven children. Uh, we wanted a big family. We'd wanted 15. Uh, when we got 15. married, we thought, well, let's have 15 children because wow. that was the jersey number on my basketball oh uniform. My and my wife said it was also my IQ. So she thought that was a good <laughs> idea, right? <laughs> but we didn't get to 15. In fact, at one point, we were told it was biologically impossible for the two of us to ever have kids. So oh, you have really? this mindset about yeah. what you want with your life and your design for your life. And all of a sudden, here comes the dragon. It gets disrupted, right? Mm-hmm. Here comes the adversity. And so we went from wanting a big family to being told we'd have no family. Wow. So we said, well, we're enthusiastic. Let's get licensed by the state. Let's adopt kids. There are lots of kids out there. And uh, we met a doctor who specialized in fertility and other things. And uh, he said, let me put you both in the hospital and check you out. And he did. He kept my wife in a little longer to reconnect the plumbing and the wiring. I don't know the technical terms for that, but whatever <laughs> right. it is. 30 days later, she was pregnant with her first child. For the next 14 years, every two years, we had a baby. It was fantastic. That's we were awesome. really blessed, you know. And, wow. and it was so grateful to, to have that in our lives. But that family is really, those close relationships really define our lives to a great degree, I believe. They do. And it's one of the most joyfully difficult things that you have to deal with, for sure, right? Yeah. It, it really is. You know, and it's funny when I've, a handful of people that I've coached and always do kind of a pre-interview to see if, if it would work out, you know, are we going to click? And I'm always asking, why do you want to do this? And, you know, a handful of folks that I've 
had in those initial, you know, they were kind of telling me they wanted to be this, they wanted to be in the C-suite or they wanted to make X amount of dollars or have this position, this title. I wanted a house in the lake. You know, they were always, I go, is that what success is to you? And they're like, yeah, I think so. And then I'm like, that's, that's cool. I can appreciate that. I said, but let me ask you a question. What, instead of a successful life, what does a significant life look like to you? And it's funny, I call it the melt, right? They would kind of, well, before they were kind of talking like this, you know, with their shoulders up and, right, right. and then they kind of, they'd slump. I call it the melt and they think, and every single one of them that I asked that question, it always came to family. When the next thing that came out of their mouth, was, I want my, I want my kids to be proud of me. I want my wife to be proud of me or something to that effect, right? I want to know that I was here, that I mattered to my family, right? And so I think you're, what you're saying is spot on. We, we always get, it's easy to get sidetracked from all that, from all what culture and society and even our own personal desires and egos tell us to want. But man, it's, if you don't have family, you don't got anything. Yeah, I think there's an interesting uh, comment that I like about that. I think we want to live lives that are worthy of the love of our children mm -hmm. and spouse. That's a great way to put it. Worthy of the love, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I and I think you know, we're foreordained to make uh, to make mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Right. For sure. And uh, and we all stub our toe here and there. And to be able to forgive ourselves for that, I think that's also a very important part of the, our living process that we sometimes don't do. And we carry guilt around with us, right? We carry these self-limiting beliefs around with us. Mm -hmm. We really have to be able to forgive ourselves to say, it's okay to fail. It's yeah, okay to stumble. Sure. It's all right. Yeah. Okay. And now let's get up and improve the situation. Let's be better because of it. Let's learn from it. And when we do that, we carve out a better niche for ourselves going forward. Absolutely. I'm curious about your insight, something that I always kind of struggled with and even some guys myself, you know, I'm 52 and I've always had this and I don't know what is the right way to define it. And I've talked to a handful of entrepreneurs. I've, I've had great mentors, great leaders. I've met a lot. I'm obviously talking on this show. I've had so many great conversations, but there's always this hunger or this gnawing. I call it more of a gnawing than anything that always seems to rest inside of me. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I suppose it can be both on how you use that either a power for good or power for evil, right? But that no, there's always a level of dissatisfaction and gnawing there. I've talked to a lot of other friends and people about this and what they think, and I just don't know. What is it? Have, do you know what that means when I say that? Like, I always have this gnawing of, I feel like I'm running out of time. Like, now I feel like I'm running out of time. Of There's so many things I want to accomplish, and I just feel like I'm, I don't have enough time of the things that I want to accomplish. And that gnawing is a blessing and a curse because that, that gnawing can produce action, but, but it can also, I don't know, lead, lead you down rabbit holes that you shouldn't chase. Maybe you see what I'm saying? I do. And I understand that. I think it's possible. I also think it may be the drive that causes you to be successful. That the very gnawing, the very feeling that you have deep within you is the notion that you propels you forward. Right. And there's so many words that are neutral in our existence. I think leadership is one of those, right? You can have bad leadership or good leadership. It right. depends upon the person who holds the mantle of leadership. We, I think most of us would agree Hitler was a bad leader. Sure. Causing the deaths of millions of people. Yeah. Mother Teresa also inherited the mantle of leadership. And look what she did with her yeah. life, building nunneries all over the world, right? Nelson Mandela at one point was a terrorist, right? Yeah. In the streets of Johannesburg and in Cape Town battling apartheid. But his conversion and transformation during his time in prison was astounding. 
yeah. was remarkable. I had the chance to meet him one time, and I did you? And really? I only had one question that I wanted to ask him. He was unbelievable. His soft eyes, his soft manner. <laughs> he was great at asking questions. I could hardly get in a word. He was asking me questions. And I said, you know, Mr. Mandela, there's one question. What caused you to change during that 27 and a half years in two different prisons? What caused you to change? He said, I read the same poem every day, multiple times a day, every day. Oh, and man. it changed my heart. And of course, my question then was, what was the poem? And it was Invictus by William Hensley. Oh, man. And in the very last line, I said, I am the captain of my soul. I am responsible. I am accountable for who I am. It's nobody else's fault. Yeah. I can't blame it on my parents and my siblings, and I can't blame it on circumstances, right? We make of our life what we choose to make of it. It is our opportunity to prove ourselves. And I think sometimes we fall back and try to find excuses. Yeah. And that's not how we become great leaders. Yeah, that certainly is not the path towards significance. You get, you're certainly taking that personal accountability and running with it. And then producing the, 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 the discipline to do something significant every day. And when I mean that, again, it's not climbing Mount Everest. It's just, do I, do I speak up? Do I stay quiet? You know, do I stay? Do I go? Right. Do I, you know, to make yeah. sure you're, you're authentic, transparent, and vulnerable like we talked about. I think that's yeah. so powerful to be that. The intentionality of being authentic, transparent, and vulnerable is, to me, the work that needs to be done. And it leads to, leads to a lot of significant things. It certainly has in my yeah. life, right? Well, I think, Richard, maybe you'd agree, but I think because of social media and self-promotion and all the other stuff we see going on in today's world that, you know, we've, we've gone into a world that's deeply, uh, deeply rooted in I, me, and mine. Yeah. And we need a world which is we, us, and ours. And, um, and that we think collaboratively and consensually about other people and how we can serve them. And I've always found that if I'm having a bad day, if I can go serve someone else who's having a worse day, my day's okay. Yeah. I'm going to be all right. right. I think service is so important uh, that we need to do ourselves and we need to teach our family. So we need to always be of service to other people. Yeah. And if we are, then I think we begin to accept the higher calling that we have, right? This notion that there's a higher purpose in life. And I think our higher purpose is always to be in service to others. I agree. And I think the, I think the universal obligation is we need to make the campsite better than we found it, right? The old kind of Boy Scout adage, you know, yes. I, I'm going to show up here and I don't care how it looks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything I can to make it better than I found it. And then that's adding value. And that's, that's the intentionality behind, okay, every, everything that I do... And I think that's where the reflection is in the morning is like, how can I add value to everything that I'm doing? Even the simplest of things, you know, the interaction with the cashier at the, at the quick shop when you're getting gas, exactly. everything. Yep. And that compounded starts to make a difference everywhere. I, I, I like to believe I'm an, I'm an optimist like you, but man, it's, it seems particularly with the social media and everything and, and going through what we want, everybody's gone through in this last year. I'm hopeful, right? I mean, I'm hopeful there's some sort of, I've had that question posed to me about my kids too. Is this, this is the worst it's ever been? And I'm like, I just don't think this is the worst it's ever been. Even with regardless of all the craziness that we saw in this last year, it's still probably the best time in the history of the planet to be alive. If you think about that, mm -hmm. there are a lot of first world, you, we said that in the pre-recording, the first world problems. There are a lot of first world problems that we're dealing with here, but I, I do think this is the best time to be alive on the planet. What, what do you think when you hear that? I agree with that. And I think every life 
time is the best time true. to be alive. Okay. That's Every true. lifetime is the best time to be alive. I think it gets progressively better. And I think the challenges get progressively more challenging because life becomes more complex. There was once a more simple time. Mm-hmm. It was getting in the cover wagon and starting the horses out West and you, and you dealt with whatever came up along the trail, right? Today is more complex, more difficult, more challenging, but we're up to it. Right. We can meet the challenge. Right. We're okay. Right. We've been given great gifts and tools. And if we'll just apply those appropriately and give it our best effort, our lives are going to be all right. I think the other problem that we have oftentimes is that we compare ourselves to others. For sure. And what they're doing. And this comparison is a killer. So I I created a quote about 25 years ago when I was thinking about comparison. And it goes like this. One success is relevant only when measured against one's own potential. Mm that instead of comparing ourselves to others, we have to compare ourselves to our own potential and reach our own potential. And if we do that, our lives are going to be great. Yeah. But, but if we fall short of that, we will be frustrated. We'll have stress. We'll have anxiety. We'll have a host of things. If I'm always comparing myself to others, I'm never going to have as much money as others. I'm never going to have a bigger house, a faster boat, a faster car, more land, whatever. There will always be others who have more than I have. So that comparison just doesn't work. But if I say, hey, I have these gifts and abilities. I think that I can do these things. I'm going to exercise that. I'm going to tap into my potential. Then we begin to experience the human growth that's so essential to not only be a leader, but to be a better husband or father, wife, sister, right? Mm -hmm. To be a better sibling, to be a better neighbor. We can do all those things. And I think the key and the the, the bottom line to all that is how do I help others? How do I serve others? And when we can answer that question, uh, we're in pretty good shape. Yeah. And, and all those, those buckets that we're chasing to get filled, you know, all of a sudden get exponentially overflowing when we start trying to fill them directly, right? They get yeah. indirectly filled by doing what you just said. Yeah. That, that's the adding value piece, the intentionality. I had an experience, Richard, if I could share it with you, I had yeah. an experience. I was flying up to Seattle and our daughter was up there and I was going up to see her and and um, it's a rainy, typical night in Seattle, right? It was raining. Got my rental car, driving down the road, came to a stop sign. There, 10 feet from me, was a man in a pouring rainstorm, looked to be about my age, holding a sign, I'm hungry. We, we find those moments in our lives, right? We just find those moments in our lives. I drive on by, no problem. I rolled down my window and I said, what can I do for you? He said, I'm hungry. And I looked around and there's a fast food restaurant half a mile away. I said, get in the car. How many of us would do that? Yeah. I said, get in the car. He got in the car, smelled bad, had all of his stuff in a bag, um, unkempt, I mean, difficult, wet. We drove over there, got a bunch of food, and he was eating. And I started conversation with him. And over the course of a half an hour, found out that he was a engineer. No kidding. Not a work for seven years. Terminated from his job. He also ultimately lost his family, his home, his car, and everything that defined him. And you've been on the streets now for nearly seven years. And so I talked to the young manager of the fast food place. And I said, is there a homeless shelter around here? And he said, yes. And he said, in fact, our business works with a homeless shelter. It's about three miles away. I know it very well. And I said, well, could you help this gentleman get there? And then could you send me a text or call me and tell me what happened? He called me about two hours later and said, he's got a warm bed. He's had a shower. He's got dry clothes. He's got a place to stay now for the next four days. In fact, they'll help him with his resume and other things and even apply for some jobs. No kidding. I thought that was fantastic. That took 20 minutes of my time, 30 minutes of my time, right? And I was just a small person in that process who saw a window of opportunity, right? 
And I just was a catalyst, a facilitator for a better experience for this person. I think we come across people like that in our lives all the time. They need a smile. They need a handshake. They need a hug. They need an encouraging word. Um, and we are that person that can facilitate that, to lift them up, to elevate them to a higher place. And when we do that, I think we begin to understand our potential. Yeah, well said. I mean, I can't agree with you more. There's so much we can do. Again, it's even though that I hear that, you know, I, I think the more that I can keep things simple, not overthink it, think about adding value, think about service, think about selflessness. That's, I got to remind myself that every day. And then the more that you do that, the more that it becomes a habit. Right. Right. But man, it's so yep. easy. It's so easy to get distracted and go down the wrong, wrong path. It is. It is. It's the nature of our society today to be distracted. I know we get what 40 million stimuli a day into our brain and we have to pick <laughs> and choose among them. And right. we, uh, it's just hard stuff because we have so much coming at us. The thing is we're getting close to wrapping up. Is there anything about the, um, like I said, you, you talked about the three principles of leadership, the clarity, vision, certain intent, and the power of values. Anything about the five principles of personal greatness? A lot of, we kind of, we kind of, have been talking about some of those, I think, in our conversation. But is there anything of those five of living a higher, committing to a higher level of discipline, living with the purpose, acting with intent, making conscious choices, engaging in a cause greater than self, which, I mean, we've kind of been talking about that. But is there anything about those five that you want to kind of reemphasize again that we haven't talked about? Well, the first one, which is commit to a higher level of discipline. I think each of us believes we're a disciplined person, but for us to achieve our greatest potential, we have to step that up. We have to just be more disciplined in every aspect of our lives. So if we commit to a slightly higher level, 10% more, 15% more than we're currently doing, we'll be okay. The second one, which is live with purpose. That's the definition on the side of the bed in the morning. Yeah. What is my purpose today, right? Then act with intent is the third one, right? So we talked about intentionality in all things. In my view, there's no small decision. There's no inconsequential decision. Mm, I, I think like everything has consequences. Every choice that we make, big or small, has a ripple effect somewhere, somehow. I like so that. we need to be thoughtful about what we do with intentionality. And then make conscious choices, right? Don't live an unconscious life. Don't get swept along with events. Don't get pushed into doing things, right? Make very conscious choices about each, each thing we do with our life. And then lastly, engage in a cause greater than self. Let's, let's be about service. You know, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, he talks about food and shelter being the basic stuff and then self-esteem, self-actualization and so forth. The last few months of his life, he was actually writing about the sixth level. He had five, but he started writing about the six and that's transcendent. It's the notion of a higher purpose, a higher calling in life that we need to live our lives to something greater than ourselves. And when we do that, the thrill of living, the sensation of being alive is ever present and if we can do that, then we achieve our mortal existence. This is what we're about. This is why we're here. And that's the rush of the sensation of doing a good job, a job well done, a life well lived. Yeah. Well and that's said. really where we want to be. Absolutely. Well said. Well said. Warren, you're one of the good ones, my friend. The book is The Leader Within Us. It's a great read. I read it in one, I read it in one, one sitting. Chock full of everything that I believe and great reminders for myself. I think you did a really good job. You should be proud of yourself on, on what you've accomplished. That's nice of you. Thank you very much. We have hope to have something as a legacy for our children. Yeah. How can people connect with you, get in touch with you, learn more about your services? Uh, WarrenRustan.com. Uh, there are speeches there. There are comments there. There are 18 Facebook Live uh, episodes there on different topics, resilience, family, those kinds of things. 
Um, and uh, I hope uh, you know, people will read the book and, uh, and get something from it. If they can take a single idea from the book that they could apply to their lives and make their lives better, then writing the book was worthwhile. Yeah, no, it's 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 well worth the read. It's well worth having on the bookshelf as a, as another arrow in the quiver of their leadership journey. So I really appreciate you coming on the show and and meeting you. And it's just I hope to stay in touch. Let's do stay in touch. And I, you know, Richard, I want to thank you for allowing me to be on your show. And you touch so many people's lives, right? You're helping so many people by interviewing people and allowing a perspective to be shared. So I want to thank you, not just for the service you've rendered, the career that you've had, but what you're doing right now to tap into people's potential. So thank you very much. Well, that means a lot, Warren, coming from you. So thank you for those kind words. And man, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Richard. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dosa Leadership brings to your world. Go to dosaleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.